Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Stone History. My name is Colin. Thank you for checking out our pilot episode. I want to let all of you know that we want to know what topics you want us to cover. Feel free to reach us by email at stonehistorypodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at stonehistorypodcast, or on Facebook at stonehistorypodcast. If you feel so generous, check us out on Patreon for our patron-only content and to support the show. Thank you so much for checking us out, and I hope you enjoyed it. So it was the Second Punic War, 216 BC, beautiful, warm Southern Italy. It's August 2nd, probably, I mean, we think, but we're just going to call it August 2nd, all right? And the calming sounds of metal clanging and slaughter filled the serene light atmosphere near the town of Cani. Battle of Cani was a devastating pitch battle between the Roman Republic and the Carthaginian state. This whole shit show took place under the backdrop of the Second Punic War. Yeah, there were three of those fuckers. You know, and this was the one that had Hannibal when he crossed the Alps, you know, had some elephants, lost an eye, got that whole pirate shit going on. You know, I thought it was pretty awesome. Uh, but he did some really cool stuff. Probably one of the best tactical battlefield commanders of the ancient world, but that's just me. So yeah, that's a little bit of a backdrop on that. I want to do a little bit more of an overview. We're not looking to do the in-depth tactical strategical analysis of the battle like some other shows do. There are plenty of other podcasts that do that better than we could. Definitely are more competent and have a better resume than I do for such things. I'm kind of going more the personal route. I want to investigate what was it like at Cani? What was it like for that Roman freeman, the Hastati, that Princeps, that Triari, those allied infantry? How were they on the ground facing Hannibal Mother fucking Barca. Hannibal Barca, who destroyed every army they had sent against them up to that point in time. Who knows? Maybe this will be better. You know, the Fabian strategy, tragedy, I don't know, some might call it that, but it was a strategy nonetheless. They kind of give up on that. It wasn't really the Roman way, you know? Ugh, losers. We just don't want to do anything. Makes us look like wimps. Not really the Roman way of doing things, you know. So they decided uh, to go ahead and put together a big-ass army. They pulled together under the new consuls of Paulus and Varro in 216 BC, who are real hard dick kind of dudes. They just wanted to go get this done. And this, like all other Roman generals had done to all the threats before, let's ignore that, you know. That when Rome got sacked by the Gauls. We're just going to ignore that, though. That didn't happen. Or any of the other setbacks, you know, the Sam Nides, VA. We're just going to ignore all that. But that, that's neither here nor there. But we're going to do it like we've all done before. And we're going to put together the biggest army that Rome can raise and gather all of our allied contingents. And we're going to go smash this Punic asshole on our home turf and send him packing, but hopefully have him on a crucifix or in a gladiatorial arena. That's really what we're going for. But I don't know. I don't really want to spoil it, um, but it doesn't really go that well for Rome. So we are going to take a look at that. The next thing we're going to go over is the army composition, which we'll get into here in just a moment. So after giving up on the strategy of non-pitch battle put in by Fabius, the Senate really didn't want to go that route anymore, so they decided that they were going to put together the largest army they've ever fielded and end this threat once 
for all. So the great mighty republic assembled in 216 a great army of approximately 86,400 Romans and allies. This army was commanded by both consuls of that year, Varro and Paulus. Varro and Paulus, they just didn't get along, apparently. Completely differing strategies on how to conduct the war. They just could not, could not get along as far as that goes. So they alternated command. Every day, a different consul would be in command of the army. So essentially, you could have every day a completely different strategy being put in. I mean, I get the checks and balances, but shit, it's an army, right? Can't run it that way. That's just my little thoughts, though. So this army was made up of a total of 70,000 Roman and allied infantry, 2,400 Roman cavalry, and 4,000 allied cavalry. And these allies were taken from Roman allied states in Italy, some Gauls, etc. Pretty much anywhere Roman had a touch, they part of the old treaty to be an ally instead of a subject as you had to submit Sakiae allied troops. Um, and they usually made up, obviously, a massive contingent. They also had a large contingent of troops still stationed in various camps and other fortified districts around Cani uh, from the previous winter's camping, campaigning campaign. Well, they were doing some of that too, but it wasn't the Boy Scout kind. I mean, I joined the Boy Scouts if they did that kind of camping, but a little different. So that's neither here nor there. So we're going to look at the army of Hannibal. Hannibal's army, or the army of Carthage, commanded by Hannibal, if you want to be more specific. This army was a little bit different. This was not a raised army that was raised from free citizens and allies having to submit troops. This was a battle-hardened army. This army was the army that had been campaigning with him since Saguntum in Spain. They had marched with him through the Pyrenees, into Gaul, and through the Alps. All that famous crossing of the Alps, losing some elephants, coming down to the Alps, losing over half of that grand army. This is that core that made up of them. Not only that, this is the core that wanted Tychonus. This is the core that wanted Lake Trasimene. These guys were hard dead. These guys were old school. Hard drinking, hard smoking, growing beards, stabbing Romans, and they were good at it. This was a veteran army, even though they were multicultural armies, some of them of which were famous Carthaginian mercenaries, but a lot were taken from Carthaginian subjects or allies, as it were, doing giant air quotes in the air if you can't see. You know, from you had Spanish, Iberian, Scutari mercenaries fighting very similar to the Roman style of combat with short sword, oval shield, and throwing javelins. You had their cavalry as well. All of this was present. You had the famous, famous Numidian badasses. They had 8,000 total cavalry out of that fourth thousand cavalry of this Carthaginian army were Numidians. These Numidian horsemen pretty much were raised on the saddle down in those hot, arid deserts, North Africa. Numidia is just a little, is just west of Carthage, south and west, down going in towards the Sahara, very tribal society at this time. Like to fight each other as much as anybody else, but if you could get their horsemen, famous horsemen didn't use saddles, uh, they would ride into battle, no armor. They would throw javelins and also pull short swords and duke it out with you and give you the old stab, stab. They were fast. They were disciplined. They were quick. And by discipline, I don't mean discipline in the Mediterranean sense. Discipline, and they stuck to what they did 
best. Not the Roman sense of discipline of standing in file. Well, and that was discipline. That is what they did best. But the Numidians did what they did best, and they did it badass. So he had four thousand of those. The rest of his, and then he had the rest of that cavalry formation. All this cavalry had a contingent of Gauls and Celts from the Po Valley that made up part of his cavalry, and the rest of his cavalry was primarily made of Celts and Celt Iberians from Spain, as I was mentioning. Very good cavalry. His infantry was made up mostly of about 40,000 Celts and Gauls from the Po. Really fucking hated Romans. Romans had been subjugating them, fighting wars with them previously. The Romans really didn't like Gauls. I mean, that whole episode where they sacked Rome, still kind of bitter about it. I think they probably still are today. You know, some whole story about geese. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to go into that. But all sudden told, we're looking at a Roman army of 86,400 men, most of which, which I didn't go into because I'm bad at reading my own script, what can I say, were relatively fresh troops. After the losses the Romans had been taking previously in the campaigns with Hannibal, the experienced troops they did have in this Roman army system at this time that we're calling the Polybian system, which was still drawn up from land-holding citizens, you still had to have a property requirement to join the army. So it naturally had to have a ramp-up time before it was effective after these were raised. These were citizens being brought to battle with what they could bring. Now, when, when we see through history, when the Romans are given time to leave a legion fielded or an army fielded and gains that experience, then it becomes the unstoppable machine that we like to think of the Roman army. This was not that army. This was not that army at all. This was a hastily brought together massive army. This was purely relying on the confidence of Rome and Roman martial prowess to hammer these Punic dogs into the ground. And, you know, pride comes before the fall. But I just want to give you a good concept of what the forces were looking at. 86,400 Romans, fresh Romans, eager, but fresh. And you did have some veterans from previous battles in there, of course, put out through the units to help firm them up, to help firm up these new recruits, as it were, against roughly approximately about 54,000 total Carthaginian forces in the field between their cavalry, their infantry, and their light infantry with the Gauls in the center and the more crack infantry on the wings. And of course, his really, really good, good cavalry on his flanks. Cavalry is the one place the Carthaginians had in numbers and in quality. Romans were only known for the cavalry. Really wasn't for a good period of time, but definitely not during this period of time. Um, so that was pretty much a foregone conclusion in any cavalry conflict. Uh, but I can't emphasize enough how badass the Numidians were. And pretty much, just to kind of go a little bit off the rails, uh, going through the future and everything, going into Scipio Africanus, whoever had the Numidians on their side won. When Carthage had the Numidians, like with Hannibal in Italy, they won. Like at Zama, when Scipio Africanus had the Numidians, they won. Not a coincidence. Numidians were a secret weapon. But enough on the Numidians. I'll stop, uh, stop getting a hard on over the Numidians. But you would have thought by the normal judgments of the day, if you just looked at these armies, that the Romans' massive, massive 30,000-man advantage in numbers on pretty much terrain of their choosing as well would act like a hammer 
and smash through this grouping of mercenaries and barbarians and show these upstarts where they really belong. But again, didn't really go it that way. So, kind of an overview of the armies a little bit. Don't want to go too in-depth on that. Again, there's much better resources out there. Um, and I'll be happy, happy to direct you to any of them. Comments, concerns, feedback, please let us know on social media, Twitter, Facebook, or email as well. I'll be happy to talk to you. I'll answer every single comment and email that we get. Um, happy to get that discussion going. But just to give a brief, brief, again, don't think that's a word, just to give a brief summary of what occurred, just because I don't want to get into it, this brave Roman army decided to close ranks, deepen its ranks, turn itself into a fist, and throw itself at the Carthaginian line to do what they did best. Breakthrough. Didn't work out so well for various reasons. Roman, Roman commander's idiocy, hubris, the brilliance of Hannibal, etc., the discipline of the Carthaginian army, all those factors, and just falling for Hannibal's trap again. Of 50,000 of the Romans were encircled by a double envelopment by a numerically inferior force. Let's not even talk about the military brilliance of that by itself. It's taught at places like West Point today um, and utilized in a strategy today. Um, but 50,000 human beings armed to the teeth in a tight formation to begin with to punch through the enemy found themselves hemmed in like cattle, pinned so close together they could not raise their swords, could not lift their shields could not defend themselves, began to die. This is really what I want to discuss. Imagine being a Roman, a stati, early 20s, young man, has a young wife, maybe a child, works a small farm in the countryside, called up to fight for the Republic, full of vigor, full of cum, you know, all the standard bullshit. Mere two hours earlier, he was amped up, ready to fight, Gonna crush these Punic dogs. Now he finds himself pinned next to all of his mates, crushed in. He can't even lift his gladius. Then he can start to hear it. Starts in the distance, slowly it comes closer. It's the sound at first, the clanging, the banging of metal. The outer rings can still defend themselves. They're not pinned in together but they're outnumbered and they're dying and surrounded. Then it gets closer as time passes. All you can hear is the screams, the moans, mater, mater. He can smell the iron in the air, the shit on the ground as men defecate and piss themselves. The wounded scream and moan, but can't even fall to the ground. They are just penned together as they all die. This quote is up to, by some sources, up to 50,000 Romans died that day on that small patch of ground in Italy. I think the echo of that horror and shock did find its way all the way to the Senate House. And it did cause changes in various ways to the way that the Romans conducted the rest of the war. 
they immediately went back, even if it was temporarily, to the Fabian tactics of non-commitments. Denying supplies harassment. Not going to let that bite us again. But we have to give them the testament that an agent state was able. They were able to take such blows again and again and again and get up and keep fighting. Only Rome. Only Rome can do that. Only Rome did that. They did not know defeat. They did not know look for terms. They dictated terms. They conquered. Or they died. It wasn't that they were better than anybody else. They were just smarter in those kind of ways. They didn't quit and they kept going, which I think is pretty damn smart. Work for the Romans, it would work for you or I. But as a final note, I would like us to think about that killing pocket, killing field of Cani. Not so much on the overall effects it had on the war or the overall geopolitical outcome the war had, etc. Again, there's other sources for that. I want to think about the personal feeling, the emotion, the smell, the sound, how it would be to be on that killing field. I think it was probably one of the worst single places to be in all of human history. The worst moment, like the song, Stalingrad. Deep in the siege of Leningrad in World War II. These are the places that were the worst things that we can experience and do to one another. I believe Kani was another one. I think it earns a special reputation because it was so personal. It was done by blade, short sword, copus, spear, javelin, club, hand, eye to eye, spittle on your face deserve something special in my mind. I know this wasn't really what the Average History Podcast goes into, and I know this was just a bit of a taste on what we're looking to do in our future episodes. This is a bit of a work in progress, so I do promise it will get better as time goes along. It is kind of our first adventure into the writing, recording, and production of a podcast, but it is a work of passion and a pride that we do have. So, Again, we do hope that you reach out to us and give us your feedback or just to chat and say hello. We're always down to chat, always. But we appreciate you giving us your time and listening to Stone History. Keep an eye out on our social media, especially on our Twitter, which is at Stone History Podcast. We'll be releasing a poll for suggestions for upcoming topics. We'll be releasing our upcoming topic for next week's episode on Monday. So please keep your eye out. We'll also release a trailer episode to announce that as well on all of your feeds wherever you get your podcasts but once again thank you very much for listening to our pilot episode really enjoyed making this and i hope you join us next time thank you